0: Welcome to this episode of Flip the Script, Inside the Trauma. As children, we seek safety, comfort and nurturing. And the one place we expect to have all of those things, to have our needs met is at home with our parents or our primary caregivers. We expect to feel safe, loved, nurtured, wanted. But when those basic needs and rights are stripped from us, we are set up for a lifetime of pain until we can get curious about what's going on with us and lean into what may be causing these emotional responses. But when you're a kid, you just want to be loved, you want to be seen, you want to be held, you want to be praised. My guest today, Krista Bevan who's the founder of the Radical Mother Village, dedicated to consciously helping mothers break the cycle of general, generational trauma. She's going to share with us her firsthand experience of growing up in an emotionally abusive household from the time she was born till the age of 12, when her physical body started catching up to the emotional abuse she'd endured for years. Terrible stomach pains, panic attacks started to consume her. Those would go on for two decades. While she tried everything she could to heal her body and mind, it wasn't until her late 20s when she realized that her subconscious thoughts were fueling her autoimmune symptoms and the trauma causing all of the symptoms and manifestations in her life finally came to light. I'm grateful that you're here. Let's dive in. Welcome to Flip the Script, Krista. Hi, Emma. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, thanks for being here on this beautiful, well, it's beautiful here. It's sunny. It's cold as heck, but sunny Monday morning. Um, Can you share with our listeners your firsthand experience with trauma and sort of how that led you on the path and journey that you're on today? Sure. So my
1: trauma started when I was really little, even from the time that I was a baby being left to cry it out in my crib all the way through my childhood, dealing with a really unstable, emotionally toxic environment. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of emotional abuse from my father, primarily though. The trauma also came from my mother who sort of through her um, passiveness didn't stop any of the trauma that was happening and occurring in her household, which I now understand is her own trauma response to, to her life. Right. But so I had these two very, like, one very hot and one very cold parent and somewhere in the mix was this strong-willed, intelligent little girl that was trying to navigate through all of that. And so the abuse was really bad. It would be a lot of physical abuse, but not at me. So it was physical abuse around me in the sense that the house would get beat up. Things would be thrown a lot. There was a lot of uh, aggression and violence, but I would never actually got hit. In fact, I can remember laying in bed uh, when I was a little bit older, hoping that I would get hit, which sounds really awful now. But in the moment I knew that if I showed up at school with bruises, people would take me seriously that I was not in a safe house and maybe help me do something. So it was a lot of that sort of anticipation of, yeah of what's coming next and having to really develop Mm -hmm. um, a heightened sense of empathy and sort of reading the room and always being on edge
0: um, because we never knew what was
1: coming next. Hyper vigilance so yes that's you, the word
0: <laughs> yeah when you say that you wanted someone that you thought that if you showed up with bruises um people would take you seriously had you tried in some way to communicate that you felt unsafe
1: I don't know that I had done anything directly because I sort of even as a kid kind of had the sense that I wouldn't be taken seriously um i I think I had a lot of cries for help that I thought were being communicated that way, but I don't know that it would have necessarily come across that way to the adults in my life.
0: And at what point in your, your life, was it in your teenage years or were you a little bit older when you realized that something's not right within me? I need to kind of do some excavation.
1: Uh, I mean, I knew something wasn't right when I had my first panic attack when I was 12. And that sort of clued me in. And then I actually, what happened for me as well, when I, about that same age is I started having nightly anxiety that manifested as really horrible stomach aches. Mm -hmm. And at the time I had no idea what was happening. And I went to my mother with it and she sort of ruled out the obvious triggers that might be causing it. And then when none of those were actually what was making it happen, she sort of said, Uh, well, I don't know what to do with you. You're fine. Right. It must. I don't know that she even said it must be in your head, but it was sort of dismissed. Right. It's like, it's not clear what it is. So we're just going to give up. But I remember really feeling like something was wrong and something was off. And that was the first time that I can remember my body really clearly communicating to me that it was not safe and trying to give me this message of you need to do something and this isn't safe and you need to get out of this environment. And of course at 12 years old, I didn't have the capacity or the ability to do that, but but that was the clear message that sort of set me off on this path of both being hypervigilant and listening to my body, but also ignoring and dissociating from my
0: body. That's so common. So how did the next few years play out from the time you had that first panic attack to?
1: Well, it didn't go very well. There was a lot of uh, all through high school. And then until I finally got out of that house, it just, it continued. It was just kind of like a pressure cooker um, and things continued to really escalate. My father and I had, had gotten into a number of verbal confrontations at some points I had even left the house. It got really bad. I mean, the police got involved eventually. Um, It was just really not a good situation. And so when I finally left the house, I was continuing to suffer from these panic attacks at their worst. They were almost every single day. I was continuing to have the sort of nightly stomach ache of anxiety and worry and dread. And eventually in my twenties, I did a lot. I started doing a lot of healing work. I started going to therapy at certain points. I had tried medication. I sort of did all of the things that you're supposed to do. Um, And finally, for me, the thing that changed was when I came across a modality called TRE, which is um, tension and trauma releasing exercises, which is a physical practice where we're working with the body to elicit a natural shaking mechanism And in doing that, it helps to discharge some of the stress that's being built up in your body. And for me, once I discovered that and started integrating that practice into my life, it was this light bulb that went off that started shifting everything for the better, where I finally felt that sort of sense of relief that I had been searching for, for a very long time.
0: You can feel safe in your own body. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah. It start, I mean, it wasn't immediate, but it started that it put me on that road to finding safety in my body. And, and again, sort of reconnecting to listening to my body's wisdom and, and the intuition that I have and, and the messages that my body was delivering to me, which like I had said earlier, it was it was a mixture of both listening to them, but, but almost hyper analyzing everything that I heard and felt thinking that something was wrong and also completely ignoring it. And so this helped me find that sort of sweet spot in the middle where I could hear the answer and I could ask the question and then
0: listen and hear the mm-hmm. answer. What did it feel like to have this inner knowing that something is terribly wrong and that you should be doing something about it, but that you know that you're, you're just a kid, like with that feeling of helplessness for so it, long. It,
1: Yeah, it was absolutely awful. And what it led to for me was a lot of, um, sort of early maturity and sort of adultification. I'm not even sure if that's a word, but I'm going to make that up if it's not, uh, but sort of taking on more responsibility than a child should actually have to take on. And I did that as this response to, well, if I can act like an adult, and I can take these things on, then maybe that'll get me out of the situation faster. If I can grow up quicker, then I can escape faster. So I knew intuitively that it meant getting out of that situation. And I was hell bent to figure out a way to do that. And my you know, 12-year-old self was trying everything that she could think of to do that. So I, I knew that something needed to change.
0: How did growing up in a household in which you have to be on all the time for your own sanity and protection. How does that translate to your interpersonal relationships, friendships, romantic relationships?
1: Uh, It made it really hard. So I, I struggled a lot at maintaining relationships with people. I really had trouble trusting other people, trusting that they were not going to betray me and abuse me in the same way that I had dealt with as a child. And again, it's a a concept of finding safety, right? It's like, I couldn't find safety within myself. And so safety also didn't exist in the external Mm -hmm. as well. And so it made relationships really difficult. It it, uh, led to me being um, extremely hyper-independent where it was really hard to ask for help, where it's like, no one can do this better than me. I can't trust other people to follow through I will just take this on to the point where I really ended up burning myself out. I dealt with adrenal fatigue for many years. I ended up developing an autoimmune condition, all of these sorts of physical expressions of the traumatic experiences that I had had. And, and not so much just the experiences, but really more the unresolved experiences, right? Because there's trauma, but then there's also the lingering effects when it stays in your system and you haven't done the healing work that it takes to sort of resolve that, that continues to be this, this like secondary hurt from that initial abuse. Trauma
0: is multifaceted, right? You go being this helpless child and then, you know, you're living in this environment, but you also have the attachment to your parents right? You love them, but you're supposed to be cared for and nurtured by them. And then as you grow up, it's, well, why would they treat me like that if they loved me? So it's multifaceted as you release and heal the trauma. There's a lot of other questions that come up. Mm -hmm. Were you able to have that conversation with your father at some point? I have not really been able to have that. He
1: knows that but I haven't really had the conversation because his emotional maturity level isn't there and it's still not there, right? I have had more of that conversation with my mother since. And the three of us collectively, individually, my mother and I, my father and I, and the three of us together have done a lot of healing work in the last you know, 15 years. But, um, But a lot of it has been taking been taking radical responsibility for my own reactions mm-hmm. and then forgiving and releasing a lot of the things that they've done. And, and honestly too, as I've learned more about trauma, this is now the work that I do helping other women, you know, resolve these things for themselves. But what I've learned through all of that is that I went from seeing myself as the victim and my parents as the abusers as the end of the story. That's it, cut, end scene. And the more healing work that I've done, the more I've been able to understand that their responses and behaviors and patterns of parenting were really more in response to their own traumatic childhoods. And it doesn't excuse their behavior at all. What it does is it adds in a layer of complexity and nuance around my ability to see them with compassion, even as I still hold them accountable for their behaviors. And I think that You know, one of the things for me about uh, healing and and trauma work is that the more I do it, the more I realize that I've come to this place of yes, and, and that it's not so much black and white. These are our roles and that's it, end of story. It's more that I can see this is how they were abused as children and how that ended up coming down the generations to me. And what I can do now as a parent differently so that my son isn't dealing with the same burdens that I did. And so it, it broadens the funny. scope that
0: we can see from, right? That's why it's so important. If you have any inkling or awareness that your behaviors and patterns are showing up from you know, your own childhood trauma that may be unhealed, that's the point. Because doing the work gets painful and it gets sticky and it gets icky. But working through that is for what you just said, to make sure that we don't repeat the cycles, because it's so easy for us to just say, well, that's the way that I was raised. You know, when you're angry, when you're pissed off, you throw shit around and you make your point and you threaten and you scream because I'm the authority. That's how I'm Mm going to show up in the world. But we don't realize that we then continue that cycle of abuse. So that's, that should be the primary reason because hurt people hurt people. Yes. So that's why we have to do better. And I love that because a lot of people get stuck on their healing journey of then not knowing who to blame, right? It's like, we always need someone to blame. Well, now if I can't blame my parents, because I'm looking at them through the lens of compassion, who's going to take ownership for what happened to me. And that's where it becomes really powerful to become your own savior
1: Mm -hmm. Well, the other thing that I find is that the blame thing has two sort of prongs to it, right? We blame the person that hurt us, Mm -hmm. but I find that a lot of trauma survivors also blame ourselves, whether we do this consciously or not. There's a component of blaming ourselves for why didn't I do this differently? Why didn't I say something? Why didn't I I speak up? Yeah. You know, it must be my fault. We internalize that it was our fault and that we've done something wrong and therefore we deserve a piece of that blame. And what that actually does is that we bear,
0: that's what we bring into adulthood.
1: Right. And, and what that actually does is that that perpetuates us being in a survival state, Mm -hmm. right? Because that those thoughts are enough to be a threat to our system where Mm -hmm. our nervous system then stays in an activated state, which keeps us in a fight, flight, or freeze position so that we're then more likely to continue recreating those scenes where we're behaving in these ways where we feel shameful or guilty or embarrassed about our own behaviors. Mm -hmm. And it just becomes this like perpetuating cycle. And Mm so what I found, and, and this is the work that I help other people to do is, To actually start to understand the way that their nervous system is wired and see the beautiful design that it has to stop feeling so bad about why you weren't able to speak up. That there was absolutely nothing wrong with you, that your body was actually doing exactly what it's designed to do. Mm -hmm. And when we can befriend our body, instead of feeling betrayed by it, we take back some of that power so that the blaming doesn't feel as necessary. We can start to, again, have this understanding and through understanding comes compassion, which just makes everything in life so much easier.
0: Yeah, so much. Yeah, so much easier. So for our listeners, what are some of the red flags that they should be looking out for in their adult lives now? Um, if they haven't really, you know, dug in, in and, and excavated some of the, the childhood trauma that might be lingering, how might that be showing up for them today?
1: Yeah, so it can be some of the things that I mentioned already, like the extreme hyper individualism. So, if you have trouble accepting help, if you feel like you're the only person that can do things right, if you have trouble trusting other people for their word, if you have trouble creating and maintaining relationships, sometimes we can create them, but then the actual friendship maintenance falls off. These can all be red flags, right? But then it can also be other things like um, getting triggered and then having it wipe you out for days on end, having little resilience to things that upset you. I can remember at sort of the worst, um, at the worst of my trauma symptoms and my, my PTSD really showing up when I was out of the house, but I was a full grown adult is that I was I was clumsy. And actually the clumsiness was part of the trauma response. I've found since I've done healing work, the clumsiness has kind of dissipated, but the littlest thing I could drop my plate of food. Like I could be waiting for dinner and so hungry and then finally get dinner and then be walking to the table and trip and drop the plate of food. And that would be it. It would send me into a tailspin. It would not be so simple as, I dropped my plate of food and that's really annoying, but now I'm just going to go get another one and clean up the mess. Instead, it would be this devastation. So anytime that you're having these sort of disproportionate responses to events that shouldn't really be that, that triggering, that's a red flag that there's something there that you're in that sort of hyper vigilant
0: um, survival there's state. Moms, your kid makes a mess and you just fly off the rails and. Exactly. Yeah. So once you've identified some of these red flags, what, what can you get curious about? What can you do to start the healing process?
1: So the thing that I think is the foundational piece for anyone that's doing trauma healing work is nervous system regulation work. Mm -hmm. So this is for me, that means working with the body to help find find safety or reestablish safety. For some of us, we've never felt safe in our bodies. Safety has never been a given. And so for a lot of people, it's about establishing safety or for those people who have may have experienced it at points in their life, reconnecting to that place and creating space um, to be able to do that work. Right. I actually find that Trauma healing work before we've done some of this nervous system regulation is actually going to end up being potentially re traumatizing. Whereas if we do some of this regulation work, and by that, I mean making it so that those triggers aren't so triggering, making it so that you have a, what's called a wider window of tolerance. So a bigger um, zone in which you can be distressed emotionally without sort of losing your shit or you know sinking into a depression. And in that, when we widen that space in our systems, then we have room to play around with things and revisit instances that need to be excavated further.
0: That makes so much sense. I'm so grateful for our conversation today. Can you share with our listeners where they can find you and how they can learn more about the work that you do?
1: Sure. So you can find me at my website, which is KristaBevan.com. I also host a podcast called The Radical Mother Village for any mamas that might be listening that identify with this idea of being a radical mother, which is what I call cycle breakers. Um, And then I also have a Facebook group for those mamas with that same name.
0: I love it. Thank you so much, Krista. And for our listeners, all of her details will be available in the show notes. Thank you. Thanks, Emma.